Yeah, I bet you are wondering what my topic is, Joel, and you're about to find out. Oh, tell me more. All right, welcome to Practice Shooting After Dark. Uh, we're here to talk about well, talk about shooting. It is it is after dark, also. It's like in real life, so it's perfect. Uh, on deck tonight, um, Mr. Kim, say hello. Hello. Mr. Park. Hello. All right, so nobody's that impressed with you guys. Uh, also on deck tonight, we have uh, Mr. Matt from X-Ray Alpha is returning. Say hello, Matt. Hello. Matt is, what, what do you say, is he in studio? Yeah. He's <laughs> at my house. So, you know, all right, so everybody's here, and you guys know the rules. Everybody comes here with a topic. They come here with a thing that they'd like to talk about, something they did this week in shooting, something that pisses them off, whatever. Just, just a thing to discuss. So I think I'd like to go first this week. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Tell me more. Okay, well, you... Uh, well, our listeners will, like last week, they heard an interview that we had with Layton, the Area 2 director, who, again, will likely likely remain Area 2 director, I would think, in my estimation. So I thought that interview was very enlightening. Uh, I certainly learned a lot. And uh, I have some, I mean, I the, kind of the, the key thing that I took away from it, the thing that I want to like uh, kind of hone in on, that's what I'd like to talk about. Does that sound nice, guys? Yes. All right. So... Uh, I think kind of the uh, the discussion between hey, having USPSA, the organization, be run as a business versus kind of the philosophy of it is a steward of the sport of practical shooting. I thought that was a really interesting one. And um, I think uh, now that we've, we've, we've had, what, five years-ish of the current, uh, the current track that we're on, is that right? Sounds right. Something like that. It's about five years, but um, I think I think five years ago the thinking was, "Hey, uh, headquarters is all fucked up. Like things don't work the way they should. Um, the organization was kind of dysfunctional about a lot of things, and it needed to be run more like a business." And you know that was the track we needed to get on. That's a cool. That means a nice sounding slogan. Like, "Hey, we're going to run it like a business," and people are thinking like, "Oh, that's slick. That's cool. That's you know, everything will be done properly." Um, that's what we wanted to function like. Um, but it was interesting in the in the conversation with Layden that I don't know that people had ever really seriously thought, and this would include me, I don't know that people ever really seriously thought about the downsides of running it like a business. Um, and now that's kind of coming into focus for me. So just understanding the philosophy of, hey, this is a business, like it makes things make a lot more sense to me about how decisions get made. For example, if you're a competitor, like say Mr. Mr. Kim is shooting an area match and everything's going well and he's having a great time and like there's some prop that just doesn't work right for him and he has a, an issue with that, like uh, is is he uh, a uh, sportsman that has a problem that we need to address or is that a customer that that we could maybe lose? Like if he just really doesn't want to come back, I mean, that's one customer. We have plenty of customers. And as a matter of fact, if you look at uh, the marketplace of uh, practical shooting sports, USPSA pretty much has the market cornered right now. So unless you want to go shoot IDPA, um, like you are kind like USPSA, maybe you say they have a monopoly on practical shooting. And mm -hmm. if you look at it like a business, like that puts them in a pretty strong position, you know, kind of irrespective of the state of it as a sport. So, I mean, kind of just, I just, 
I've thought a lot about it, like what the philosophy of running it like a business um, does, both the positive and the negatives. And I think if any, if if ever there's going to be a conversation about this, it's going to have to happen now, uh, like in the next couple of years. You, you following along, guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So uh, I think just with demographic shifts, like the number of uh, number of shooters we have, the number of divisions we have, the number of sports that we have. So right now we have. Uh, USPSA and SCSA. And if I'm to believe what I read in front site, um, I think every, like the interesting thing is every candidate is on board with this current track. I mean, uh, USPSA and SCA, the growth has been incredible, says one area two candidate. Another one says we have consumers who want our product. The market is there. Uh, Candidate for Area 5 says, I think we need to continue to innovate and investigate what other potential type of shooting sports would allow us to continue to grow. So that instead of having two sports, maybe we're going to have more because businesses need to keep growing and make more money. But what that means for you, the sportsman, is that like you're one guy, like if you're listening to this show, likely you shoot USPSA, um, maybe one division or maybe more, but whatever, like you shoot USPSA. Maybe you shoot Steel Challenge. If you have an organization that has a third sport that also has other people with their own interests and things they'd like to see happen, your voice gets just a little bit smaller. Like you, you have a lot less political power inside the organization. So with the way things are going, if ever this track is going to get changed, it has to be in the next five years. So that's that's kind of my read on it. Like if, if it's ever to change, it will be now. Otherwise, there will be no changing it. It'll just be what it is. So what are your thoughts on this? Reactions, anybody? Yeah, I think I think the organization is in fact uh, shifting and growing fast. I think. So like you like you mentioned a couple of years back, five years back, uh, the perspective or the the resource we needed or the mindset the organization has to have was different. And it's going by really fast changing progressively so i think five years back and now and in the future i think yeah we we gotta be adaptive and i think being a business i think really helped the organization to at least have the resource to help people around a little bit yeah yeah but i think uh, I think at least somebody's now saying, hey, with the resource, we got to be doing this rather than that. Uh, well, the interesting, I mean, it's a question of philosophy, right? In, in my in my estimation, it's it's about the philosophy. So like if you have a guy that goes to a club match and he's really upset about something and he I paid my twenty five dollars, it ought to be this way. Yeah. I mean, most of us sitting here probably just be like, dude, whatever, like. Fuck off. Joe wouldn't say that. Joe would think that, but then he'd say something. I would, I would not think but that. But it'd be like, like, dude, we're thinking like the fact that you paid $25 for this club match like entitles you to nothing. Like you're just paying to make this thing happen. This is like a sporting event. Like nobody, we don't really care about the money piece of this. You know what I mean? Like, so on, you'd look at it, you'd look at it at that situation and be like, yeah, this isn't a business. Like, fuck off, man. Um, so so what was the biggest change? I don't um, No, it's good that you don't not familiar with. So the biggest change that running it as a business vice, the organization that I knew before Mike Foley's reign, like what is what changed specifically? Uh, well, like for example, right now, USPSA owns Steel Challenge. OK, I don't think that that didn't happen as a result of Mike, but 
Um, basically, more divisions have been added, like PCC, carry optics, no divisions are deleted. We have another sport. The management of the, the organization is talking about adding more sports to U.S. Like, I don't know what they would be. But, I mean, is there any – is anybody tracking – like, so if you run it as a business, obviously the bottom line is – is it needs to be profitable, right? No, I think that it's how much money the organization makes. Right. And the organization, you know, ultimately can make money two different rate ways, right? By getting money from clubs for running sanctioned matches or more matches, right? Has there been an increase in major yeah. matches? Not even major matches, even club matches, they get classifier fees. Mm -hmm. Right. So has there like for I know notice from North Carolina for area six, they're outside of one new club that has most recently been running, you know, um, matches more regularly than anywhere else, there hasn't been a noticeable increase in clubs offering USPSA matches or new matches coming up. The only thing I've really seen from my end tracking it is just an increase in match fees. Matches are becoming more expensive for bigger matches. Yeah, right. Well, that and that's that's I, I don't think that that's a good thing, you know, for my end. What is USPSA, uh, you know, providing that's different as a business than what they provided as an organization that wasn't ran like a business? Yeah. I don't know. That's a question for that. That's a question for everybody to kind of think about themselves. I see. I, I honestly I see a lot of comments online. Uh, some guys are saying like, hey, USPSA just takes our <clears throat> takes our fee. And it doesn't support the club. And I think of that, like, what's the club affiliation fee, Joel? Is it like, is it, it's minimal, right? It's like 65 bucks uh, a year or something? Yeah, it's small. And then just so the activity that, fee for I'm classifiers, like, it's not much. Yeah, it's like, I don't give a shit about your club fee. Like, it takes some money to make things happen. It's $65. It's fairly minimal. But, like, it, wait, when people on either end view it as a strictly business transaction, I think it's, it, it's kind of missing the point of what people are here to do. Or at least people like us are here to do who are like into the yeah. practical shooting sport. So, I mean, with saying it's, we're going to run USPSA like a business, was that more of a semantics? No, it is absolutely thing? not. It is like more, like more participation, more money, like, like, um, making, I would, I think it's related to the push with rules to make rules, I guess, basically easier. Lenient. So, Lenient, I mean, maybe is a good word to use. It was yeah. very telling. And Matt, and Matt hasn't heard this yet, but it was very telling for me when, when Leighton was discussing with us the the weight limit for carry optics, where it was 59 ounces versus 60 ounces was apparently at one point what the board was discussing. Leighton, I forget who was on what side, but like 59 ounces was one side of the discussion and 60 ounces was the other. And that was where they were at, like discussing where this rule ought to be. And like, if I were in the room, I'd be like, I feel like the point of a rule is to restrict things. So it right. seems pointless to have a rule that effectively doesn't restrict things. And this seems like a stupid discussion. But I think with that, so maybe that's one of the negative things with USPSA trying to be a business. Well, now, now they don't want to piss off customers. Yeah, now they don't want to piss off yeah. customers and they don't want to piss off industry that supports the customers. I mean, and I, I kind of see that as the whole, that's why carry optics came to be was you had gun manufacturers that wanted to get their guns competitive because outside of a competitive market, it becomes a niche little kind of tactart market for the carry optics guns that that people want. There wasn't a big push to get those into 
like law enforcement hands back when that started. Well, and then I mean, the interesting thing there is that having a having another division, which carry optics is sensible as a division, but not tying it to deletion of other like at the time, I think I'm like, why the fuck are we adding divisions? Like we don't need we have a lot of we have un, like underwhelming divisions in terms of participation. Like you could try something new, just smoke the ones that people aren't using, but that upsets customers. You know what I mean? Right. But if you run it as a business, I mean, it's it's about profitability. Yeah, you're not going to if you're going to bend an entire organization to the six dudes that shoot revolvers. I mean, that well, may not be the best business model. Well, well I kind of kind of think of it as like, uh, let's say all four of us have it doesn't even matter what it is, a store on opposite like corners of the street intersection. And we're all kind of fighting for market share. You know, it's like the mom and pop and. You know, maybe you stock stuff. It's like some Ben stocks decapping pins, which makes him no money, but reloaders need that stuff. So you're kind of a little boutique, um, you know, store that you specialize in a specific thing and you really cater carefully to your customers. And the fear is as one one of the stores gains market share, so Ben's store <clears> makes it and the us other three go out of business, then Ben has the store. It doesn't really matter. It's like, well, he's the only game in town. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. And I think that's the that's the fear that I've heard some people, I mean, from competitors, frankly, is like they get so big that, like, well, like, I mean, if you want, don't don't like it, go shoot IDPA, you know, would well, be like the saying something somebody could say. That's the, that's the attitude. Like they don't like USPSA did like kind of they did leave the door open for IDPA to become a thing in the '90s by simply by not responding to what the sport needed, which was a production, like. A production component where I can go buy a gun, I can shoot factory nine millimeter ammunition and be competitive and have fun. Like that is what was sorely needed, and IDPA met that. Mm -hmm. um, as far as right now, it's a little more difficult to see the see the way forward. But I do get a sense that USPSA has kind of gone the same way as like Apple or BMW, whereas like 20 years ago, BMW was in the 90s. BMW is making the coolest shit for guys that really like cars, like. It's like a more like a enthusiast type of product, and then they get bigger and bigger and bigger, and they literally do not manufacture the cars that those same type of guys want now. Those guys have to go somewhere else. Apple, I think they're they're changing their ways, and Apple's headed back in this direction. But Apple used to be like for like niche, like enthusiasts, like video editing and shit like that, and they got really big, and you know they started selling a lot of phones. So like that smaller part that they used to serve really well of uh, people who have niche needs like they don't get served anymore and that's just the way that naturally happens as things grow so you want to like in my view you want to uh sort of carefully plan out that growth and you know and what i'm reading like what i'm reading in front sight about like we're mulling over other sports so i'm like holy shit like adding more sports what the fuck like so anyway i think we've set it up this is it's just something i wanted to put out there this is ever if if it doesn't change in the next few years, it will never change. It's gonna like it'll become a, a a beast of its own, and it will not be really it will not be easily controllable. In my estimation, anyway. So uh, let's move on, uh, Mr. Mr. Kim. I assume yes. you have something fun to talk about. Yes, I had some interesting training recently. Uh, over here in the Northwest, there's no local matches for another month, couple months. Probably to August. Home, so that's good. Mm -hmm. Maybe so stay I, home until December, you know? <laughs> I've been doing some unconventional training. 
So uh, I actually made a video for PSTG uh, and dropped it last week or something like that. So the video was about shooting with misalignment. It depends on the distance, how much misalignment is still in the alpha zone kind of thing. So uh, basically from the video, what I did was I would place my red dot or uh, iron sight, not the red dot, front sight. So half of my fibers covered by the rear sight, either right side or low side. If it's high side, I will place the fiber dot above the rear, uh, rear notch. So I would shoot at different distances and then see what distance start going outside of the alpha because alpha is, you know, narrow but taller. So like 10 yards side to side misalignment will produce C's, but still vertically A zone kind of thing. So those videos, I was explaining how you should shoot at least once a year to see how off alignment is off the target. So that should give you a very good idea if you need a makeup shot or not, basically. So most cases, even if you are, you're shooting minor scoring, uh, you don't really want to make up Charlie because first, given that, that you call the Charlie or you thought it was a Delta. But even if you make it up, there's no guarantee that you're going to make up with an Alpha. And even if you make up with an Alpha, it's not always guaranteed that you actually have higher score by making that up. So judging by the misalignment and distance of the target, uh, you will kind of know how far off it was from the point you were looking at on the target, judging by the misalignment. And then uh, last week, I also, after that, I actually misaligned my sight on the first target. So I would present it to the target, and then after the buzzer, I would shoot like an array. Uh, like it was four targets. I had uh, two open paper at different distances and two partials. I would purposefully shoot with the misalignment sight. Uh, nothing too crazy, nothing like 25 yard partial target. It was all in uh, up to 15 yards. So I would shoot with a misaligned sight. And also I tried with the red dot, of course, uh, the red dot placed in the corner of the optic window, not in the center. So after recoil, uh, Sometimes I would lose it, but it will jump back down. So I was seeing what those affect in terms of my shooting. And also the question was, hey, do I really think that was a Charlie shot? But actually, if I go to the target, it might be an alpha kind of thing. So that helped me to develop the shot calling ability. And basically, if I need a makeup shot or not. And if I need a makeup shot, I just simply did this. Let's say my front sight was at one o'clock outside of the rear notch, misaligned by a lot. In, I tried this, uh, realigning front sight for the makeup shot versus not realigning, but placing the whole sight moved down and left so that I am actually shooting in the middle of that misalignment. So middle of the front sight, middle of the uh, rear notch, if that makes sense. So I'm not, placing rear sight on the spot I'm looking at, nor I'm placing the front sight on the spot I'm looking at. I am equally misaligning in between. Did that come yeah. make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I try both ways and see what's the time difference. Uh, for very <clears throat> fast hosing speed shooting, uh, uh, realigning took a little bit more time because I need to change my focal depth to actually see it a little bit better. So in a fast situation, I would just misalign the, or misplace the gun 
based on the misalignment. That was a little bit faster, but further shot, I wasn't able to shoot accurate with that misplaced misaligned sight. I had to just realign that in that case, like 15 yards partial target kind of thing. Do you yeah, think that, that, yeah, that, that seems pretty, pretty complex to do at speed <laughs> to, to recognize. I mean, that's very good if that to process that, that level of misalignment or that mistake and not correct it at speed under those conditions. My, so I have a question. Do yeah. you think it matters? Um, so I'll shoot like a sim similar exercise with guys about not so much to the extent of that knowing calling where you were misaligned and either adjusting to correct alignment or just moving that bad sight picture to the correct kind of Kentucky windage position to get the hits you want. But do you think it matters what the rear sight notch versus front sight width is? Because what I've found, you know, if you have a 150 rear notch with a 0.100 front sight, there's way more wiggle room left yes. and right. And mm -hmm. depending on the depth of the notch, so that so did you did you shoot that with with just your own guns or did you have different um i experimented sights? exclusively on one front sight thickness and yeah I, I shot two different guns four inch and five inch but the front sight rear sight the size wise was the same was the same yeah hmm. interesting but I don't right. recommend to do this extensively too much. Just one session or two, maybe. Not more than that, because it's just the information you need to know I'd, rather than developing skill to make, a, make up shots with misaligned. I think it's, it's worthwhile knowing yeah, to make when you need to make up shots, but also what you're able to get away with with just that front sight somewhere in the notch mm -hmm. at different distances. Yeah. Yeah. I can't shoot groups as tight as you did in that video, but I, <laughs> I, I took my time. I took my time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Joel, what do you got going on? Uh, well, you know me, I'm always trying to locate areas to improve. So uh, I've done a lot of training lately where I focus like a laser on one specific detail or technique and I let the rest just happen on autopilot. So kind of give you some examples like uh, studying how my eyes focus and the way if they're target focus and when they switch back to front sight focus, maybe I do five reps and then only studying, you know, that that specific aspect like a laser and I'm assessing if that's the way I should be addressing those targets or maybe the next time I'm This is uh, relevant to our interests. I think Matt will be talking about this later. Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm paying attention to like today. It was how my sights stop on a target. Do they ever stop short? Are they ever too far? Do they do they bobble when they stop? Do they stop smoothly? You know, is that correct? You know, for the distance of the target, the difficulty of the target, and I ignore everything else. Draw doesn't matter. I mean, nothing, literally nothing else matters. My grip pressure doesn't matter. It's entirely how are the sights stopping? Is that what I want? Next, uh, in live fire, I think of especially. I did one where it was my grip, and I was making sure I gripped the gun the exact same way regardless of shot difficulty. Like, hey, if I'm shooting a far or a, a shot that I, I perceive to be a precise shot, do I relax my grip at all? Because that happens with some people. And so, again, I'm just like, where the bullets go is kind of somewhat irrelevant. I'm just really paying attention to my grip. Um, so just being hypercritical of what's going on. You know, the possibilities are endless. Uh, but being able to diagnose your own shooting is, I mean, a priceless skill, honestly. So I found it really valuable. 
and just been a good method to uh, to really pick apart my shooting. And I've learned a lot from it. You feel you feel like isolating those things one at a time and and paying like a significant amount of time to that one skill makes it easier for you to identify those things at speed. Yes, because otherwise, like to give you an example, let's say I'm doing I don't know, El Prez that everybody would know. Maybe I can do it and I can get a good result. But of course, I work under the premise that something could have been better. But maybe it's like, well, I, I don't know. Maybe I could have pressed the trigger faster. Maybe I could have, I don't know, maybe I could have drew faster. So like if I'm just paying attention, then it's just, hey, how am I gripping my, my hand on the gun? And I've learned a lot from that, just at picking out little things. And so I, I, what I've been doing is I kind of pick it apart and I work on all the little pieces you know, separately. And then obviously you incorporate them into big drills. Well, okay. Well, good information, Joel. Uh, it is, yeah. So, what I would say to people is, you don't have to do everything. Like, it's not about doing everything perfect all the time in practice. It's like pay attention to the thing that you're trying to fix, and then you try to move that along. And if you like miss a draw here or there or whatever, like don't get too wrapped up in that. You know, that's yeah, and that's and that's a lot of like what Ben does in classes. Yeah, you know, which is like like, hey, I'm not expecting you to be a perfectionist. I just want you to work on this one thing right now. Yeah. All right. So, Mr. Matt, we did some shooting today. Yeah, we shot a little bit today. <laughs> we were. Uh, so, what I wanted to talk about was uh, kind of a visual acuity thing, um, specifically talking about. And I know this gets this topic probably gets beaten a lot on this uh, podcast. No, PSTG. No, no, we don't. I don't oh, think so. The so front sight focus and target focus, um, and not so much like I think everybody is in agreement that maybe you know target focus is the more preferred way to shoot is that would that be an agreement i you guys think i'm probably yeah. among us but broadly would you say no i think i think once yes i think no because it's for for people that don't come up grow up shooting only practical shooting it's such an attack on like paradigm like marksmanship paradigms that people know to be true and they've held to be true forever right if you're telling them now and showing them what's actually possible and what they can can do with if they understand what they're doing so i talk about what i want to talk like my own struggles with this where so i made gm from shooting only front sight focus uh, it's how i learned to shoot i learned to do it quick um and learn how to, to gun handle quick, but understanding that there's there's obvious limitations with that, especially when you come to things like shooting on the move or, um, you know, shooting faster targets up close. There's a tendency for a lot of like over aiming, um, mm -hmm. shooting in and out of position. So what, what I found is I'm typically pretty good out to about 15 yards at speed. And I'm for me, and I wanted to hear your guys' view on it, it, for me, I think it's a it's a confidence thing because I can group shoot, you know, out past 25 yards, 30 yards, target focus with no problem. But once I start trying to, to do that fundamental at speed under pressure, I find myself not being confident enough to what I'm seeing or that I'm seeing enough. And even if I stay target focused, but I really quickly shift back to the front sight with both eyes open to confirm alignment then back to the target and shoot and even though i feel like i can do that relatively quick that's still a met an amount of time that i'm giving up 
for that. So when you guys are training, are you focusing, like when you're, you're target focusing, are you getting to a distance where you say, okay, anything outside of this distance or this shot difficulty, I'm going to be in 100% control and go back to my front sight, make these two shots, and then go back to target focus. Are you, do you have those two types of aiming schemes that you're going back and forth with when you're shooting under pressure? Kim, I'm going to put you up first. Go ahead. For, for me, that constantly changed. Uh, basically, like the ratio of front sight focus use versus target focus use. The first two years, I would say uh, probably close to 50% of the time I would shoot some uh, com um, confirming the front sight. So focal depth change factor was there all the time. And then the more I practiced with the red dot, I started using target focus a lot more. And then I discovered my target focus, or I thought it was target focus before, but when I actually shot red dot, my focal depth wasn't 100% on the target. I was able to see the target even clearer when I started shooting red dot because I'm 100% target focus. So I realized my target focus, the concept I thought was a target focus, wasn't actually target focus. It was more like, if I do a ratio, it was more like 20% closer to the front side and then 80%. So the target wasn't 100% clear. So that's more like the you know focal depth thing was 100% never. And then when I started uh, seeing the target 100%, seeing the target way clearer and looking at specific spot, uh, my target focus ratio went way up because I saw the ability of what the target focus does in our sport. So when I shoot iron sight nowadays, it's almost all target focus except 25 yards uh, partial target, like a no shoot target. Then it, when I do walkthrough examine course, I would actually have my arms up and then tr make sure my focal depth changes to my hand that makes me program the muscle change, right? Focal depth change. But I guess how many times we see 25 yard partial target or <clears throat> tougher than that, not that much. No, but even if it's not a partial, like for like I see in uh, like in North Carolina, there's quite you'll regularly run into 15 to 17, 18 yard poppers. Yeah, the mm -hmm. mini pop, like not the real small ones, you know, the regular size. Mm -hmm. And that's one where I find myself, you know, to go one for one on it. Like and I think it's I don't think it's a, a skill or a visual thing. It becomes a confidence thing. Where I, I only want to shoot at it once. Let me quickly confirm that I'm doing it right. Shoot and move on. Uh, I had an interesting learning moment. Well, Ben was here what last week for classes. I think it was beginning of last week. Um, like and I did. What, ben, what's the name of the drill where you shoot like a bill drill at a medium distance? You shoot a pair at. The I showed park. this one to Matt today. He likes what, it. I what do you? I haven't named it yet. Uh, what do you? What do you want to call it's it? It's called the Matt Pranka X-ray Alpha drill. It's called the. Okay, so we did the Matt Pranka <laughs> X-ray Alpha drill. Okay. Okay, so uh, I did that when Ben was here. And so, so there's a uh, a target at what's the close one, Ben? Ten yards, maybe. Don't want to go. It's good. It's uh, no, it's it's whatever we said. I, I don't know. I said whatever. So let's, let's say it's there's a burner, a burner target, and then a, like a mid range target that if you pick a point on it and like get the gun centered, it's not it's not like a marksmanship issue to shoot A's on it. I should say. Okay, so I, go ahead. All right, so I, 
I shoot the close drill, let's say it's seven, eight yards, draw the gun, grip it properly. I just rail on it, six shots, no big deal. Then I'd move back to the 25 yard target. And every time I move back, it moves back. I'm like, oh, let's just make sure it's just right. And I do just, just a little bit of like over confirming. And then I sent it. Okay. So I do whatever mags I have in my belt. And I had, I remember I had two C's on this at 25 yards. They're all A. Sent it up really nicely. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm obviously pausing. That's not the goal of the drill. So I've done the drill again since then. And I, I would, you know, shoot, you know, aggressively on the close ones. Then when I moved back to that 25 yard, I would target focus. My eyes go to a precise spot I want. I just trust that the gun's going to follow, you know, like the mouse point or whatever. The, the sights track exactly where I'm looking. I, the gun gets there. I just sent two shots. Ben, I know you're not surprised. I had the same results. So then I get to the that's point where I'm, yeah. So I'm trusting then, like, knowing, yeah, that target focus. Just I look there at the precise spot with my eyes. The sights get there, and I fire. So anyway, for me, it's uh, it's learning and gaining confidence by doing it in practice. Because, yes, I like what Kim said. I was probably 50-50 with everything close to be target-focused. Anything that I perceived to be difficult, so a partial, steel, whatever, would shift back to a front sight focus. And as I've done more of it and kind of just trying to break the rules, I suppose, or try everything target-focused, uh, I've gained more confidence. And now I would do those those types of things, like 25-yard shooting target focus, in a match, I would have no problems doing that now. But if I wouldn't have tried that so much in practice, I wouldn't have done it. If that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, but, I think that's kind of what we... Yeah, confidence and training. But would you say, Joel, uh, because now your technique, you can precisely move the gun target to target, mm -hmm. that gives you way better confidence, right? Oh, for sure. But let's say, I don't know, if you were a very famous Instagram shooter who... Uh, moves a gun and over transition or it stops short would you say you will have a lot of confidence by doing that well you'll probably have a lot of confidence if you were that but if you were famous on instagram but, i have no response but, yeah would you agree precision is really important key to happen yeah happen? well for sure the, having a strong fundamentals and being able to transition the gun properly the, the stuff all ties in for sure so it does speak to your skill level and like what ben's saying uh, confidence, experience, and training. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a question. Got this one coming in. I'm still relatively new to USPSA and only have about a year of experience shooting production division. I want to make a switch to a division where I can shoot major power factor. However, I've noticed a lot of guys in single stack division are shooting 45 caliber for major power factor, while most guys, or most limited guys, are shooting 40 cal. As far as choosing a caliber to go for major power factor, what advice can you give? I'm interested in running uh, with a 1911 or 2011-style pistol, depending on the division I choose. For limited, you choose 40 because of capacity. The bullets are smaller around. You could fit more BBs in each magazine. Which yes, is <clears> limited advantage. is definitely 40. Um, uh, 1911s. I don't. What are the nineteen eleven guys saying on this? Is the the wisdom still? Is it that forty fives run better or no? I think yes. it depends on if you have the gun built properly or not. Mm -hmm. I think. Well, that, I mean, but okay. as a whole, I think they're designed around the the faux five. So I do have forty five and forty nineteen eleven. I spent extra money, uh, probably a thousand, close to a thousand dollars to get it run. It still doesn't run. Which one? And I have forty cal. Sorry, forty yeah. cal. I, and also I have two different, I have multiple sets, but I, two, I have two dedicated sets of magazines 
depends on the um, length of the bullet. So if you are buying factory uh, short length 40 cal, you have to use dedicated magazine for that. If you are running a long one, you have to use 10 millimeter for that. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And 45, I bought it factory pretty cheap one. It was close to $750, I think. Never like had issues with them. I just used the magazine that came with the box and I bought some couple magazines. Of course, I don't load 45, but didn't have any trouble. Uh, the bullet fits much better. So you're saying he should shoot single stack with a 45 as God intended? Yes, because they I don't think... make a 46. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think he should. I think he should shoot limited with a 40. I agree. Um, and if uh, if that's what he's going to do, and if if not, if he's if he's not sure which division, you know, maybe just go 40 for both because that way he's set up. If he's if he for sure wants to take uh take the 1911 jesus into his heart and just shoot single stack 45 i guess that'd be fine i don't think i've seen anybody shoot shooting trying to shoot single stack major in 40 cal i have i mean it's not it's not super uncommon because the, the the interesting thing about 40 for single stack is you can load it to minor or major and you could kind of choose like in theory you can choose which if you're going to shoot major or minor after okay. you walk around and look at the stages so but 40 cal factory guns are typically not as reliable. Well, I don't like I don't buy a 1911 expecting it to run, but maybe that's just my attitude. I don't know. My question to him would be, why are you so interested in shooting major power factor? Well, Matt, that would be an aggressive question because I think you already know the answer without. So stay in production it. and learn how to shoot more points. <laughs> uh, if he is going to switch divisions, I would say there's a couple things that tie into that. It's your goals do you want to shoot locally or do you want to travel to bigger matches and if you just want to shoot locally what are the guys around you shooting because if you've got a single stack heavy club and no one's shooting limited then that not not might not be as much fun and if everyone's shooting limited and only two people have single stack then that would not i mean if you're competitive sure. that would take the fun out of it really quick too so kind of what your goals are but yeah i i mean i agree i a limited gun in 40 uh i think is the way to go if you want to get a you know like a cool designer type 2011 or if not the Tanfo or CZ and uh, 40s work fine too. So or he could use a. I mean, he could use a 40 caliber Glock if he likes. Or Glock 35. Yeah. He does. He will likely have less issues, but I don't know. Guys buy Glocks and then put all sorts of bullshit on them these days to make them not work. Yes, like buy a perfectly functional <laughs> gun and then fix it until it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, that's always interesting, Matt. Like, how heavily modified would you say the gun you were shooting today was? It's. I, I think I modified it to make it more stock, if anything, <laughs> with my sight. So, and <laughs> like, it's basically not modified. Yeah, it's factory everything. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it today. Would you say it's a bang up show, Joel, or are you mad? Well, we had Matt on, so of course it was a bang up podcast. <laughs> bang up podcast. Who's mad? Like uh, anyway, if listeners, if you have a question you'd like the answer to, go to bensterger.com, send me your question. Uh, we'll be happy to put it to you. And if, if you have a, a super great drill that you come up with someday and you don't bother to name it, you're gonna get in touch with Matt at xrayalpha.com and he'll name his <laughs> name the drill for you. you know? oh, and follow Joel on Instagram. He's he's good. Yeah, and you're at GMJP on Instagram. No. You will be after this is over. Yeah, you will be. Hold on, let me get that page for you.